2: back to the Missing more Murray podcast. Lance, how are you tonight after a uh, wonderful uh, weekend up in New Hampshire?
3: I'm doing pretty well. I'm doing pretty well. How are you?
2: Doing great. I just was reflecting on the weekend we spent in New Hampshire and it was nothing at all like the previous two trips we took where we canceled our hike uh, to the coordinates, and then the next time was the anniversary of Moore's disappearance. But we also got into the A-frame house, and that was a very creepy experience. But this time, there was nothing creepy to speak of.
3: Yeah, I agree. There, there, there was uh, every other time we've been to New Hampshire in that area for this uh, podcast. There has been a certain level of unease, and other than seeing the bear in the parking lot. There was never a direct sense of danger. We were with a really good group of people. Um, We approached it in a really professional and mature way, and uh, it felt very much like an investigation. It felt very much like—I hate to use the 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 boots-on-the-ground metaphor, but it felt very much like boots-on-the-ground getting in there and
2: and digging. So what you're going to hear is a guy named Alex Clogston, who is a local— He is going to interview Witness A, and Lance and I are not going to be heard very much during this interview at all. Alex and Karen have known each other for many years, and they are also sort of connected through personal tragedy. And even though they've known each other for many years,
3: you'll discover that Alex had been interested in Maura Murray's case— prior to realizing that Karen was Witness A. And then upon discovering that, all of these pieces started to fall into place for him. And he handled this interview so solidly. It was such a good interview. They understand each other and his interview style, even though he said he didn't have an interview style, was outstanding. One of the things that is heavily disputed in Witness A's account is this timeline that doesn't seem to line up, or that seems to be so far off from the uh, from Faith Westman's call at seven twenty seven. And when officers arrived, how you know where does where does witness A fall into this whole timeline? And uh, there's a school of thought out there that's you know her her time is way off. She she misremembered everything. But she she we drove that we drove it with her. We reenacted it.
2: You were with Karen in your car, and I was with John and Alex in mine, and we passed you at the two spots where Karen said 001 passed her. And what we found was it was within 90 seconds.
3: Yes, she was uh, coming from her place of employment where she worked as a drug and an alcohol counselor. Her seven o'clock appointment didn't show up. She said that she would normally wait ten to fifteen minutes if she didn't if she had a no show and then she left. We timed it. We did the exact route. We drove as close to the speed that she recalls driving. And the timing makes for a very compelling account of that evening.
2: Okay, and here it is the interview with Alex Clogston and Witness A.
4: Alex C., someone interested in this case, and I've known um, the, per- the person referred to as Witness A for quite a few years since I was in high school. I was friends with your son. And kind of getting back into the Maura Murray case, what Witness A saw always struck me as one of the most potentially important things and one of the most immediately dismissed things. And when I had heard that you had made some claims that were very similar. It um, kind of all pieced together for me, and I spoke with you on Facebook and kind of confirmed that you were the person that saw that. And I guess my first question would be whether or not you were willing to uh, say your name. I, I don't know if you have to say your last name yeah, necessarily, because, because it can be confirmed by the family, that mm-hmm. just on visual, that you have met them, mm-hmm. so they know who you are. But I was just curious if you were interested in using your name.
1: At this point, I will. It's Karen McNamara. Okay. Mm-hmm.
4: So there's a name to witness A.
1: But I was hesitant for quite a while.
4: Yeah. And what what made you hesitant?
1: Because I feel that what I saw um, could be could indicate that there was some kind of a cover up with the police, and it made me afraid of the police. What I saw.
4: Um, I know we've all kind of read, you know, basically the same account of it. But would you mind, which I've got right here. Would you mind basically just kind of going over what you did see that night, starting Kay. from the appointment? You had okay. That I
1: um, I worked as a counselor and outpatient at uh, Friendship House in Woodsville. And when I left work that night, as I always do, I called home to leave a message that I was on my way because I go across Route 112 where there's <coughs> um, no cell service. And... Uh, a lot of, you know, the forest. And then I always make a phone call when I get to the beaver pond to say I'm coming down the hill or, um, you know, that I've made it across safely. And um, that night, uh, I believe that I had a cancellation and I left about 7:15. And when I was going up uh, the road past the hospital, I think it's Swiftwater Road. Um, A police car came up behind me with its lights on. It was car 001, and it passed me.
4: Now, when you say car 001, was this Mm -hmm. a sedan or an SUV? It was an
1: SUV. It was not a sedan. It was an SUV. Mm
4: -hmm. So you're just kind of using the term car to say vehicle, which is kind of one of the criticisms online. Continue. Yes.
1: And then it passed me with its lights on, and it continued on up the road. And then after I'd gone down Goose Lane and came out onto 112, I went to take a right. Uh, right by the store there, in car 001 passed me again, which I thought was kind of curious that um, the same police car still with its lights on and still going fast. And he went up um, 112 headed east um, as I was. And I know there's a place there where the, it's like rolling hills and like the police lights, I could just see flash on and off because it, you know, we were going over hills at different times, and he got ahead of me. When I got to the um, corner by the weathered barn, you know, um, that sharp curve there, I saw the police car, the um, SUV 001, and it looked like it was nose to nose with another car, um, a dark-colored sedan. And it didn't appear to me as though that car was really in an accident. It appeared as though it was parked on the wrong side of the road. And when I went past it, I stopped um, like in front of Butch Atwood's house and I had a, an instinctual feeling that I should help. And I turned around and I looked and I sat there and I thought about it and it didn't seem like, it made sense for me to get out and go back because my cell phone didn't work. The police were already there and it didn't even look like a bad accident. Um, That was just my impression. Um, And then as I started uh, again down the hill, I know there was a car that passed me right there, and then I went on (coughs) 112 East towards Lincoln, where I lived, and about when I got up to the beaver pond, that's when you first get service again, I, um, I made a phone call which I normally do to confirm that I've made it across the wilderness before I come down the hill into town. Um, Cell service is very sparse coming down that hill and into town, it was like right up by the beaver pond. And um, I remember talking to my dad that night and I I said that I um, was passed by the same police car twice. And I thought that was kind of humorous. And he said, How do you know it was the same one? And I said, It was car 001. And we kind of laughed about how a small town might only have one car. You know, um, that's why it's so memorable to me that it was 001. The number of the car? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, and definitely an SUV. Um, and that's, that's all. Uh, and it was, you know, I saw a clip on TV that that car that I had seen was um, the woman was missing and I, I saw a few you know things on TV about it. And then I heard an urging that said, even if you think you saw nothing, you should call and report that to the police.
4: So this is a couple of days afterward mm-hmm. in the news and stuff?
1: It might have been a day or two after. Mm-hmm.
4: I think John said it was Wednesday before they first went on TV. Wednesday or
0: thir- I think it may have been Thursday morning was the first report, so probably Thursday. So a few days
4: later you saw mm-hmm. this and that day you called I think which agency? Mm-hmm.
1: I called... In, um, the Haverhill Police Department and I I remember you know very clearly I was sitting at my desk um, in my office and I called and told them I'm just calling to say I didn't see anything I didn't see anybody walking I didn't see any cars parked along the road I didn't see anything except for car oh one that passed me twice and was there at the scene when I drove by
4: and this is the first your first police call Mm -hmm. to Haverhill PD Mm -hmm. And it, had, you, had you ever reported this to New Hampshire State Police? No, not this at that time. Just mm-hmm. to Haverhill?
1: Mm-hmm. So, and, and they said to me, are you sure you saw our car 001? And I said, absolutely, without a doubt, you know, and, um, and hung up. And a little while later, I got a phone call from the police department, and they said, we understand that you called and said that you saw our car 001. And I said, yes, that's what I saw. They said, are you sure it was car 001? And I said, absolutely.
4: And about how long after your initial phone call was this phone call back? Do you remember?
1: I would guess within an hour. Oh, so it was the same afternoon. I don't know for sure. morning. But I would guess within an hour they called back.
4: And when they called back, did they give a name of who it was calling? If they
1: did, I don't remember. I don't remember. And
4: they, do you remember specifically how they worded, you know, the vehicle you saw was out of commission that night? Do you remember...
1: I'll be perfectly honest, I don't remember if it was the Haverhill PD that told me that that car was out of commission that night. It may have been a detective that I had talked to later. I don't, I don't really remember um, if it was at that point they told me that.
4: I don't so, know. And the first time you talked to the family was when, was that before you found their website or was had you talked to them before? And this is the Missing Maura Murray website, which I, the forum has I, since been I taken think that
1: um, I think that someone had told me about the website and that they were looking to gather information, and I went on the website and I either emailed or called Helena.
4: Yeah, I, ha- I have a copy of the initial email from Helena Dwyer Murray, and it's got a date of 7 April 2005. I don't know if that was the date she sent it back to you or if that was the date you sent the initial email because it's got your email address right on it do you remember if 7th of April was about the first time you would have seen the website and
1: I don't remember because I don't the remember the day that, that I actually um, Helena said that she wanted to talk with me um, and we met at and this is after
4: you posting on the or sending her the email I'm
1: not sure I'm not sure if I had talked to her yeah but if that was the initial contact that I had with her, then maybe that was when it was.
4: Well, some people have kind of speculated that you've, you know, tried to interject yourself in the case, this, that, and the other thing. And, you know, kind of, I don't know, implying that this is only recently. And the first, uh, the first online account of Witness A that I could find anywhere was dated in 2008. And that was someone on the Topics forums, it was since transitioned to Yuku, named Weeper. Yeah, who posted this exact email? So he must have copied it um, from the website or got it from the family directly. So that was in 2008. This predates that by three years. So to me, that kind of squashes the people saying, "Well, she wants to be, you know, interjecting herself in the case." You know, not only the fact that you've never wanted to use your name kind of speaks to that to me
0: too. But I'd like to interject one thing about Weeper. Weeper was actually one of the. original PIs with the New Hampshire League of Private Investigators.
4: I was actually wondering if maybe that was who you had spoken to, because along with the initial email from Helen Dwyer there is a report from, I assume, a PI or a detective of some sort, it doesn't give a name, that was present during an April twenty fourth, 2005 meeting between you and members of the family. It doesn't say who, but they basically corroborate all the same stuff, and I was wondering if maybe even that was... You know, I'm sure that's somebody who mm-hmm. is kind of a Frank, player
0: in the. Fra- Frank, uh, I'll use his first name, Frank, the investigator actually said. And I'm not that implying
4: that this definitely is Weeper, but right, it's someone. I, I, it
0: is. I can confirm that for you, that that's who that was. That oh, was posting met up on. With? And, okay. and I'm, yes. And because he stated to us that Karen McNamara is one of the most credible witnesses he has ever spoke with in his 30 years of private investigation.
1: Well, that was and nice.
4: So that to me that kind of sets up the timeline like I said the first first thing I could find online was 2008 and this predates that by quite a while and is only a, just barely a year after the actual accident. Mm-hmm.
1: I didn't have a sense of how important what I saw was until Helena had pointed out to me on the website that the time was in conflict with my um, you cell phone records.
4: We, and we might as well get right into that. The transcript of the meeting between you and Weeper, um, you had your cell phone records present at the at this meeting. You don't mm-hmm. have them now, but you had them then. And basically it says the same exact story you gave us. It is the same story. But then it says... Um, Karen said that she usually called home before leaving work and then again on her cell phone when she got to the top of the hill at Beaver Pond because then she got cell reception. That night she could not confirm if she called home prior to leaving work but she did have her cell phone call record for that night. Her first call after reaching Beaver Pond was to check her voicemail at 7:52 p.m. The distance from the accident site to Beaver Pond is 11 miles. If she were traveling at 30 to 35 miles per hour it would have taken about 18 minutes. At 40 miles per hour about 17 minutes. This means she would have passed the accident site at about 7.35. And if you go on Google Maps and punch in those two, point A and point B, it gives you a time of about 14 minutes. So that puts you at the scene at around 7.38. Um, And this says this means she would have passed the accident site at around 7.35, so that's pretty close. According to the dispatch record, Cecil Smith, H2, arrived at the scene at 7.46. And this is... um, weepers or whoever's kind of assessment of the meeting was that perhaps Karen misjudged where she was when she made the 752 call and no, being familiar with that road myself it is a, it is a desolate stretch of pitch, pitch black trees and Beaver Pond is the only place you can pull off not only is it the only place you get cell reception, it's the only place you can pull off really so that there is no doubt in my mind whatsoever that you had the location of this call completely accurate Or, law enforcement have a timing problem, according to Weber. Or, could another law enforcement vehicle, 001, have been at the scene? It goes on then to say, Karen assumed law enforcement was Haverhill. Karen saw no one walking or running on Route 112 after passing the accident.
1: Or before. Or before. Mm -hmm.
4: And if you take in the account of you leaving work at 7.15, which is also given in both accounts, both your initial email Mm -hmm. and the account of whoever was reporting on your meeting... If you leave at 7.15 from that area, it's about 5.6 miles to the Weathered uh, weathered Barn Corner, which is a rough driving time of 11 minutes, which adds up somewhere about Mm 7.26. And you say you stopped for a bit, not necessarily sure of how long, but Mm -hmm. a lot of people criticize the timeline and say it's way off, but to me, it seems like it's getting more and more accurate. Um. And then you went on to say in the email uh, message between us that if I made a call after Beaver Pond, it would put me at the accident scene even earlier than 735. It is impossible to make a call before Beaver Pond. And you were working on finding your account number. But I think the, um, the report where you had your records right there is basically mm-hmm. concrete proof of your first phone call. Um, a couple, of, There was a few people talking on Reddit which is a dangerous place to read. (laughs) And they were kind of critiquing, um, you know, some of your stories, saying they had an issue with some of it. And I just kind of wanted to address some of those. I know a lot of people, like I said, I think what you have to say is amongst the most important things in this case. And a lot of people have questions about it, don't believe it. Um, One of the questions is, what gave you the feeling that something was wrong and you had to stop? And what gave you the eerie feeling? as you passed the
1: scene intuition
4: uh, ba- basically they said that you you know you drove by saw a police car you still thought that something was kind of mm-hmm. out of out of the ordinary it was
1: just intuition it was a very strong feeling that i could you know it felt like i could hear you know a call for help and it but in my head it didn't make sense it's like i feel that but it, that d- it didn't make sense. I looked over my shoulder and I'm like, the police are there, my cell phone doesn't work, and it doesn't even look like a bad accident. So, I, I, but I, I, you know, I had to think, like, should I go back and see if I can help? But like, what would I do? Right. Say, excuse me, police officer, let me take this over. It's like, right. I, don't, I don't know. And I, you know, I wonder why I didn't follow my intuition unless, um, you know, who knows, in retrospect, I think maybe I'd be missing too. It bothers me that people even think I would want to insert myself in this case. It's like, that's crazy.
4: Yeah, well, there are people that do do that. There are. So there's no shortage of that. (laughs) Um, One of the other criticisms was there were a couple, in a couple accounts, it was mixed up as to whether, according to Weeper, you made the first phone call was to check your voicemail, but you said you usually call your father.
1: Or my husband. Or your
4: husband, because there are some that (laughs) say it's your husband, Mm -hmm. some that say it's your, and some people think that's kind of strange. But I think those people and I, I'm not, I don't want to answer the question for you, but I, I don't think those people understand what that section of Route 112 is like at night. It is complete. There isn't, once you round the corner after Moore's car, there are a few houses for a little while, but there isn't a street light until you hit Woodstock, mm-hmm. 17 miles away.
0: I'll tell you what, <laughs> you know, I'm as old as I am and as big as I am, and I carry a weapon, I'd be scared as hell. Walking and a lot road. of a lot of people don't, <laughs> don't no think of
4: that but n- it's it's not just a, a back road it's actually it goes through kin- it goes it goes through a mountain pass. Yes. It goes through Kinsman mm-hmm. Notch, which is right where Beaver Pond is that somehow is where it opens up and where you get your cell phone signal. I've known so a lot So to me it doesn't really strike me as odd that you would
1: I've known somebody. a lot of people that told me they wouldn't even drive that road. And it used to be that there were a lot of potholes and it was very very bumpy more so than now. Yeah. The road's been repaired quite a few times.
4: Well, basically, they were saying, well, what did she do before she had a cell phone, not drive? And so, I
1: didn't live here.
4: Yeah, you guys only moved here when I was a freshman in high school, I think. Mm-hmm.
1: That's
4: right.
1: 94, 95, somewhere in there? 96. 96.
4: Or, yeah. And you also said that when you saw the vehicle nose-to-nose, the blue lights were still on mm-hmm. in the SUV, mm-hmm. and there were no no lights on on the Saturn?
1: I, I didn't see any on the Saturn. <coughs> I didn't see that, no.
4: Did you happen to notice if any doors on the Saturn mm-hmm. were open? You didn't notice or there were none if open? If I
1: did, I don't remember.
4: Okay. Did you happen to... N- when you saw... When you're pulling out on Goose Lane, from Goose Lane onto 112, and mm-hmm. it pa- it's, uh, the SUV is already on 112 mm-hmm. and passes you? That's correct. Or during any of this, did you happen to notice any features of the driver? Like facial hair? Not at all. Hairstyle glasses? none of That all. sort of thing?
1: Mm-mm. It was dark.
4: Well, one question I have is does that look like the SUV that you saw that night?
1: Yep. Absolutely.
4: And these pictures were taken after the SUV was sold at auction in two thousand seven, okay. I believe?
1: Yeah. I am um, and, and I've seen it since. I've I've seen that since. So yeah. That's the car.
4: And did you happen to notice if the siren was on, by any chance, on the SUV? When it went by you at all, or when it was at the scene, or was it just I the don't,
1: lights? I don't think so. I don't think so. was would, a I siren. would think the
4: blue lights would be noticeable yeah. at right. 726 anyway, even mm-hmm. though that's unreported. but mm-hmm. A siren would be unmissable. Um, you noticed no lights on in the Saturn. Mm-hmm. The SUV had the blues on, even at the scene. Mm-hmm. And... When you when you saw the Saturn, was it was it more up against the snowbank, or was it more kind of in the road?
1: All I can say is my impression was that the, that it appeared as though her car had just gone onto the wrong side of the street and was parked against the snowbank. You know, it so it was
4: close to the snowbank.
1: Yeah, yeah. It wasn't it wasn't out in the road. It was seemed like it was
4: because Butch Atwood and all of his all of his accounts, some of which I take issue with, that they weren't actually his accounts. But in all of his accounts, the vehicle was up, the driver's side was up against the snowbank. Then there's an account of the Marats, one of the Marats, saying that they saw the reverse lights come on, amongst a couple other things, but they saw the reverse lights come on. And the other person I know that drove by that night, who I had um, emailed Tim and Lance, who I won't name right now because they're not here, when she drove by the scene, she said that the car was practically in the road. She said it was mainly <laughs> it was it wasn't quite all the way in the road, but it was it was nowhere near the snowbank. And so that kind of pieces. <laughs> I wonder whether or not you what you saw was before or after Butch Atwood had gone by. So if you say it was up against the snowbank, kind of tells me it would be before Atwood would have been there. But if there was no one at the scene, I don't really know how that all works out either. Or yeah, maybe I, it was
0: directly after. I. And I think what we have to bring up right now is that Karen, our credible witness, is stating that the vehicle was parked parallel with the road only in the wrong direction, in the wrong lane, and the SUV was parked nose-to-nose with it, which would mean that the car couldn't have been in the snowbank in the snowbank, um, because what the SUV would have been It was up against the
4: snowbank. Was it parallel to the roadway, the Saturn?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It just looked like it had gone and parked... On the wrong side of the road. So
4: with the, was was being, the Saturn being parallel to the road, was
0: the SUV also straight
1: yes. parallel? Mm-hmm. So they were straight, yeah. yeah. So
0: now you have that. We have Susan Champy, sorry, telling us the same thing. But also that the door was open. And which the door was by. open. But the police report tells us that the car was into the trees and stuck in the snowbank.
4: A lot of people don't take this for proof, and it's, it's not hard proof, but this is a photo, a screen cap of the WMUR, um news footage released. Mm-hmm. It says days later. I think
0: it's Thursday.
4: These are the, the stand of trees somewhere in here. It's, mm-hmm. it's disputed where she hit is somewhere in here. Mm-hmm. To me, there are n- no tracks whatsoever indicating that a car went through these snow mm-hmm. banks into those trees. Right. Because you can tell that snow has melted. There's some depressions around the tree trunks. Yeah. And there are no tire and tracks. I, I don't
1: think it was where the blue ribbon is either. I think it was further east.
4: Further east going mm-hmm. down the road?
1: Yeah, I do.
4: Which it would kind of have to be to make room for the two vehicles to be nose-to-nose parallel
0: to the and, road. And Tim Westman does confirm that the ribbon is on the wrong trees. She actually hit... He said it was the stand of three. The stand of three. that she, He says that she hit the stand of three trees. She did not hit any trees at the weathered brown it, d- it
1: didn't appear to me as though she had hit trees. Like I said, you know, my my impression was that it wasn't even, like, really a bad accident. It just looked like she was on the wrong side of the road. It didn't...
4: And kind of hard to remember, probably, but did it look like the SUV had struck? Were they close like they had struck, or was there space between the two vehicles? Do you remember? I don't know that. Don't know that. Mm-mm.
2: Do you recall seeing the windshield
1: cracked? No. I did no not recall. see that. mm I didn't...
4: And being the driver's side, that would have... It, it was facing been, this That would have been the furthest, yeah, the yeah, further window been, away. Yeah, it could have been, but I did
1: not see that.
4: You didn't notice the airbags being deployed no. or anything like that. No, it was dark. Yep. Um, did you? And happen- everything
1: was just lit up with blue light, you know.
4: Yep, which is kind of disorienting, really. Mm-hmm. Um, did you happen to notice anyone sitting in or around the school bus, the school bus Br- Butch Atwood's home? You didn't did see not. any lights on in the bus, or even see. No. The- I'm not entirely familiar with how we parked, but I was just.
0: There's a couple different uh, theories on that. Either he was either parked parallel with the road next to his barn.
4: Actually, or that would almost answer a way. question. Did you happen to notice, and you may not remember, did you happen to notice if the bus was in his driveway at all? I Don't. Do you remember that it wasn't? Because if it wasn't there, he wouldn't have gone by the scene yet.
1: I don't right. remember.
4: So no, i unable to okay. answer that. I right.
1: wish someone had questioned me, right.
4: like, then. You never knew it was. Because if you had seen the bus, that would have meant he had already been He'd to been the been scene there. and kind of put a, that
3: mm-hmm. gives us put a couple more pieces into right. place. Did you look to the other houses that were in the area? Were there any lights on in the houses that were in the, in the area?
1: Didn't notice that. Okay.
3: Didn't notice no. any lights on or any people um,
4: at the, the White House on the corner or anything?
1: I didn't notice that at all.
4: No one mm-hmm. looking through the windows or anything? I didn't notice. Not really something you look for as you're driving, kind of, trying to negotiate a corner. And
0: you just saw the two vehicles at the corner. You didn't see any people milling around the car at the time?
1: I don't believe I did. I don't think so. My theory for a long time was that it wasn't a police officer. That it was, who <clears throat> because someone had said to me the car was out of commission that night, and I think it was. It may have been the detective that had given me that information, that that car was reportedly out of commission that night, and so. My Is this the
4: detective for New Hampshire State Police?
1: No, I think...
4: Um, One of the ones the family had contacted, mm-hmm, yeah. working on their behalf?
1: Yes, and they said that he he could give me information because he wasn't part of the official investigation. Mm-hmm. So he...
4: Wasn't tied to any agency. Right,
1: or he had told me a few things, but he did say that car was out of commission, which made me think...
4: And did he say where he had heard that from?
1: I thought he had heard it from the police, from the Hayrell PD, that that car was out of commission. So my thinking was... And I thought this for many years, that wherever the garage was that housed that car, that maybe a mechanic was driving it or somebody from the, um, wherever the car was out of commission oh. in a garage. That was my theory. Taking
4: it out for a joyride or something? Right.
1: And that's why I would say to everybody, check out who was driving 001.
4: And did anybody ever get back to you on that?
1: Um, this Not that they would owe you, you know, right.
4: kind of that answer. DM um,
1: anyway. State Police. Um, I called them several years later actually I think my cousin who's a journalist had called them and so someone from the state police I talked to and faxed my cell phone records to him and um, said got back to me and said that you know sometimes they just use different numbers that sometimes the number is assigned to the officer not the car so even if the report said 002, it meant 001 or whatever. It was like not a big but deal. But we know
4: on the police reports, they it's H2, H1. Mm-hmm. The 001 is the car designation. Right.
1: But I was told was no. They looked into it, and that's you know. And when I had talked non-issue. and kind of told
4: you that I was interested in this case, you did tell me that you had a journalist cousin that was interested in it too. So she is actually the one that was had heard some of the 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 um, vehicle was out of commission. No. Oh,
1: well, just for me, after the detective had said it to me.
4: Oh, you kind of relayed would, that to her.
1: Yeah. Yeah, she, she was, you know, she's very I'd love interested. I'd
4: love to know who that detective was. And, mm.
1: I think it may have been, it was one for the family.
0: Oh. It Seems like it would have to be somebody from the NHLI, which would maybe Healy.
1: And he told me that um, also that Butch Atwood had never been a police officer,
4: He hadn't, according to what... True. John Healy later went on record, I believe, in saying that Butch Atwood knew more than what he was telling, and he was scared of the people he had something on, basically, was kind of what he was saying. And again, John Healy is... I didn't know that. Yeah. Mm. And John Healy is, I believe, a 20-year retired New Hampshire State police.
0: Yeah. And he... When I spoke to him at first with the first case and tried to throw any of my theories out, no, Rick Forcier, that he's it, that He's our main, we're not concentrating on anything else. And I was just looking at Is this him before
4: like, or after he said that Atwood knew more than-
0: This is before. Uh, I met him, me and my girlfriend had dinner with him at the Eastgate Motel. And um, that was his statement. He was like, this is what we're concentrating on, there is nothing else. I was like, how can you say that there's nothing else? You're, you're not being a private investigator.
4: There's actually a Reddit topic about his CrimeWire interview, which I haven't watched personally. I haven't either. But yeah. one of the comments is how they kind of got the impression that Healy was holding back what he really thought was going on in the interview and they kind of wished he would, you know, say more of what he was actually thinking. Mhm. I don't really have anything mm. to add to that, but I was just always very curious about the who actually
1: Well, then that's who it that's who it was because he's the one who told me he'd gone to Florida investigated Butch Atwood and found out that he had never been a police officer and that I guess he had sold the house right after in
4: 18 months or somewhere in there or something?
0: Well, I think I'm pulling was, that out of the ether. I think ether. it was further, <laughs> fur, further after that. But anyway, uh, I don't know. I personally don't think Butch did anything, but... I I just I don't I know what it that is didn't,
4: that they didn't see anything. Right, those people on right. that stretch. Of and Oregon. that's
0: what I that's what I feel is I feel that the biggest reason Butch was so um, evasive with his questions and changing his things was because he was either scared or he was told to.
4: And he did catch on to the fact that his account of one article said that according to police, a witness saw her intoxicated at the scene. The only witness to have seen Maura Murray that night was Butch that's Atwood. That. After that article was printed, Butch Atwood went on record and said, "I never said she seemed intoxicated." So that is the police putting words into Butch Atwood's mouth. Mm
0: -hmm. Wow! And John Healy putting the words into her brain that that couldn't have happened because that cruiser was out of service. And I wonder if he's the first person to say that. I wonder if that came to him,
4: uh, the uh, New Hampshire State Police, or if it came to John Healy from Haverhill.
1: Yeah, the the impression that I got was that oh, that that's what he had been told <coughs> that the car was out of commission, and I don't think that he necessarily believed that.
4: That was just the official response, basically.
1: Yeah, but so that led me to all these years be thinking that it was uh, not all, all these years, but back then thinking that it must be the um, some place at the garage or wherever that that's car was. It's an
4: interesting was, idea, actually. You know. Is, in any of your research, John, were you ever able to determine whether or not the vehicle was in a garage? The 001, (coughs) pardon me. The SUV was in a garage out of service at that time, is that?
1: No, the only
0: thing that I can tell you is that about three weeks later, I was told that the vehicle was at Dick McKean's shop, who does their bodywork for repairs. This is the SUV? This is the SUV. Three weeks later. And that's what I was told.
4: Now, in our discussions previous, Karen, you told me that, that years later you had actually had an accident on Route 112. That's right. Um, and your vehicle was towed by Dick McKean, who owns Northland, or mm-hmm. his company, mm-hmm. um, by Northland Towing, which is mm-hmm. o- owned by, operated by Dick McKean, which was actually supposed to be the tow company that was on call the night of Maura's accident, yet the police called Mike Lavoy to the scene and Lavoie uh, McKean rather, arrived at the scene and there was a bit of a scuttlebutt over whose mm-hmm. who's, um, call that was supposed to be and you mentioned that he told you that the, the 002 sedan had been towed by him out of a snowbank earlier that same day. Can you expand on that at all?
1: Yeah, when I um, went to retrieve things from my car that was told.
4: And do you remember how far after, do you remember when this was, like how far after Mora's accident, how many years later, how far this was?
1: I know it was on November 18th.
4: Oh, it's my sister's birthday.
1: It was Jesse's birthday. Wow. Wow, <laughs> small world, Zing. isn't it? Yeah. But I had called, um, you know, and said, okay, I'll meet you guys, you know, for Jesse's birthday. And um, I'm, you know, leaving in about 10 minutes, and then I have my accident, so.
0: And whereabouts uh, did you have your accident, Karen?
1: Um, within an eighth of a mile of where Morris was.
4: Do you remember if it was east or west? Not that it really west. matters, but. So it was west. more towards the uh, stagecoach store?
1: No, no, no. I'm sorry, east. It was east. Closer to Lincoln? Yes, I had passed okay. that spot. And it was um, on a stretch where the river, and the road goes close to the river, yeah. and it was ice. Black ice. And I flipped. In any case, my car got towed there, and after I got out of the hospital, I went there to get things out of my car, and I saw a police SUV, a brand new one, you know, or a newer one, there. And: um, uh, Do you know when they got their new
4: SUV? That could kind of put a year on that.
0: They sold the other one to 2007ish.: Ed O'Brien in, in 2007.
4: So somewhere like three years
0: after
1: in March, about, I believe. Sound about right. It was less than seven years ago, I'd say. So. so five, five, five. Yeah.
0: So I mean, yeah, two thousand seven. That's Sometimes. that's that's three and a half, three years. <laughs> right. yeah. So.
1: And so we we went. Um. I asked him. I said, Oh, I see one of the Haverhill, um, you know, cruises here. I said, Do you work on their cars? Because I'm thinking, Oh, I found the place where. You know, maybe the car was out of commission. Yep,
4: took the joy ride from. Him. And,
1: um, and he goes, "Well, sometimes I do, you know, um, not always." And I said, "Do you happen to know um, do you remember the night Mara Murray disappeared?" And he was like, "Do I?" <laughs> he said, "I remember that night really well." And then he went on to tell me how earlier in the day, um, he had to pull he got a call to pull the sedan0002. Because it had gone off the road, and he had to, you know, pull it out. And he said, and it wasn't damaged. Um, but then later that day, um, he heard on the scanner that a car had gone off by the off the road by um, the weathered barn, and so he responded to it. But when he got there, he found out that the police had called somebody else. And it wasn't the turn in rotation. He was a little ticked off that they called him for a freebie to get pulled out, but they didn't call him for, you know, towing a car. The paying that, job. Mm-hmm.
4: Did he have any details about that accident? What time in the afternoon that accident happened?
1: Uh, no, I don't remember that now, if he had said to me when. He just said that afternoon he had.
4: And he never told you who was driving the 002 sedan that day, or did he?
1: I don't believe that he did. I don't I don't think he did tell me that
4: and John but I was
1: really surprised um, but because I'm thinking like hmm because the car 002 is what they said arrived at the scene first and and if it had been damaged but he said it hadn't been damaged it was it was fine car 02. and
4: according to the weather reports it was the road conditions were dry and not slippery whatsoever that day
0: yeah according to the accident report the roads were dry According to Tim Westman, when Tim and I interviewed him uh, last October, Tim's words were, the roads were as dry as a summer day. Those are, that's his exact quote from that evening. So email. there's no
4: reason that a sedan should be sliding off the road. And you had, I've heard mentioned before, and I forget where I've heard it, that that accident happened somewhere around 4.30 in the afternoon. Do you do you know do you have any more details on that?
0: John? The only thing I can tell you is that we were told by a local that that heard it on the scanner, that got the call that um, the 002 had slid off the road. It was not an accident. It slid off the road. It was an, at, in a parking lot or near a parking lot on on Route Ten. That's all I know. And I heard that it was someplace close to the Grafton County Sheriff's Department, but I'm not sure exactly where. Uh, and that and it
4: wouldn't be on the dispatch record because the dispatch record doesn't start until 6 p.m., if that happened at 4.30.
0: Right, right. And these guys, when they, when the wrecker showed up, uh, or no, uh, supposedly, this is now this is local rumor, but whoever, they said that Williams was driving that cruiser, Smith was in the um, SUV, and Smith came and put Williams into the SUV and sent him on his way. That's how Williams ended up in the SUV hmm. that day, was what we've been told. Um, and the reason that they put him in the SUV and sent him was because that he had been drinking. And it's very well-known fact that all around town that Jeff Williams has an alcohol issue. Very big alcohol issue. And a very big anger issue as well. He can be very volatile. Um, And that's from a bunch of locals.
1: When I thought that it was somebody from a garage or something that may have taken that car, and I had no idea who the garage is or who that might be, where it was out of commission, um, that was one thing that I really told anybody and everybody, check out who was driving 001. But then when I realized that the police weren't interested in finding out about 001, and that it could have been, and that the police reports are different than what I saw, I started to get be very afraid. That throws up red
4: flags just being an observer Very,
1: af- Very afraid. And in fact, you know, and I had said this to many people, if I ever have a police car try to stop me on 112, I'm not stopping. I'm going to keep going until <laughs> I get someplace where I know I'm safe. But it made me feel very unsafe and then it made me feel or I started to feel like um, I might not want to attach my name to being a witness to this because then I would be in jeopardy. And working in um, Woodsville and Haverhill, I didn't, I didn't like that feeling.
4: Yeah, potential for uh, some pretty serious backlash. Yes. Yeah.
1: That's what I thought. And I also had heard a lot of Um, you know, local people talking about a cover-up.
4: And to me, like I said, it's not just a case of you trying to insert yourself into the case. We have an email you sent in April of 2005, and the family can verify who you are. I know there's going to be a large segment of the internet community that's like, well, I could say my grandmother was Witness A, Mm -hmm. but you have been verified, and
0: I, I have believed your account right from day one. Um, I, I think I can add in here now that uh, <clears throat> the New Hampshire State Police, the New Hampshire State Police Cold Case Unit, and the FBI are aware of who Karen McNamara is. Um, and I have it on good authority that one person, at least in authority, has said that Karen is a credible witness. And if they feel that Karen is a credible witness and they believe what she has to say, then how can they not believe and deny her the fact that she saw SUV number 001, the Haverhill Police Cruiser? So how can they play that, two card, that two-sided card if they're calling her a credible witness, but yet they're saying, no, you didn't see what you think you saw? She's credible. Susan Champy is credible. Both their stories match unless they've been sitting in the cafe down the street making up their notes to get this all perfect. Don't think so. Um, and the accident report says it all. I mean, you know, they say where the car was. They say the car was in the snowbank, gone up in the tree, and it was lodged in the snowbank. There's and no tire tracks in the snowbank. You you showed that just that just a second ago. Well, so and it's, it's not hard
4: and fast proof, but it but certainly to me, you would think there would be evidence of a vehicle. There would be tracks going through the snow, and there is nothing resembling. Mm-hmm. You can you can see tracks of a vehicle kind of pulling up along the way it's been yeah. described, mm-hmm. parallel to the roadway, but I don't see a vehicle traveling through the trees. And we've gone on and on online on the podcast comments and um, your blog about what maybe the the thud that the Westman's heard could have been. And in my mind, with a couple of videos comparing some Saturn airbags going off and stuff, the windshield break and all that was definitely not from her head. It was, to me, very clearly from the Airbag. Airbag. Mm -hmm. I don't know if the thud was from another vehicle impacting her vehicle. Um, It doesn't sound like from what you saw she impacted anything. If she was up against the snowbank, there would be no thud made by any of that. Right. Right. I mean, that's all speculation.
1: It's really scary to think about.
4: But it doesn't add up to the official story to me. That seems like the furthest the furthest truth away. I don't know. I know the community itself has a lot of questions, a couple of which we've tried to address. One of which was your wording uh, in your initial email, how you never said anything about the SUV. It was police car, 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 police car. We've established that that's kind of just the way you refer to and, you know.
1: I've, I've had several SUVs myself. I drive one now and I never call it the SUV. I call it the car. I do remember when they said to me, do you recall if that 001 was a sedan or an SUV? And I'm like, yeah, it was an SUV. <laughs> it was and
4: like, this is the police?
1: No, the family. Oh. When they when they had, when I met with them that time, and I was like, no, it was an SUV, but um, it it didn't seem significant to me. Right. I, I did not have all the information in the bigger picture. It was just, yeah, that's what I saw.
4: And some people will just never believe it because
1: it because I said car 001
4: well no the main reason is because it goes against the official timeline of everything it oh, wow. just doesn't quite add up in people's eyes and there no there's no way we'll 100% answer everyone's questions um try to address the communities I,
1: I i you know i questioned it myself and i and i thought how can it say this and this is what i experienced and and i tried to make it fit i tried to make it make sense and it didn't it just doesn't you know and people take issue with that, and that's when I started to get a little scared. You realize that for a long time I have no idea that any of this was going on. When you told me that oh. I was witness A, I was like, "I was like, you I was like what? <laughs> I didn't even know what you were talking I about."
4: I actually <laughs> had the initial. You said something along we the lines you. of, what "I can't saying? believe what I what I saw that night was public."
1: Yeah, I didn't know that.
4: Yeah, you actually wrote, "OMG," I had no idea the public knew about what I saw. I didn't... So, how's that for interjecting yourself into the case? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I...
1: I was, um, yeah, really surprised. And I contacted my cousin. She says, don't talk to anybody.
4: <laughs> and have it's you stayed in contact with the Murray family at all over the years? With Helena
1: and I, um, you know, chat sometimes online.
4: And have you ever talked to Fred Murray at all or just... just uh, I
1: did once... Way in the beginning, and um, you know, Helena had said that's not a good idea (laughs) because he's so emotional.
4: And so, when um, when you met with the family, and this was reported, who were which member of the family were you actually meeting with? Helena. That was Helena back Mm
1: -hmm. then. Yeah. Do you know Susan Champy? No. It was, um, you know, I don't know how many years later. I came around that corner, and there was a car that was in an accident right there into the snowbank and stuck really badly. And I stopped to help the guy. But nobody from any of the houses around came out. You know what I'm... Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm just thinking, like, you say, well, well, you know, Mara was there. Didn't the neighbors come out and look and do anything?
4: You'd think they might want to. But,
1: but then somebody or else... Or maybe they'd
4: be <laughs> even more worried to get involved.
1: <laughs> but somebody did say that... Um, you know at least once a year there's an accident there on that corner but that um... yeah it really gave me the creeps that this guy was like stuck in that snowbank. I got out and I had a shovel trying to help and we couldn't shovel it out so I gave him a ride to the store. Was was
4: he heading east do you know? That guy?
1: I think he was heading east.
4: Because going around that corner having driven it many times if you actually were to you know lose control of the vehicle and slide even though again it was a dry day you would not end up the way her car ended up you'd end up much closer to the actual apex of the corner you know what i mean kind of more west you'd kind of just go more straight than down the street and turn around
1: you know and and i i hesitate to put myself out there like this too but there was you know many times i drive by and i'd be asking like how did that happen how did she end up with her car there and one time, and it wasn't, you know, a particularly slippery night, um, and it was past that point on 112. I was thinking, how did that happen? And my car spun around, and I was facing in the wrong direction on the side of the road, just like hers would have been. I said, oh, that's how it happens, hmm. <laughs> you know. <laughs> That that can happen.
0: And seeing in your instance with a slippery road, yes, that makes sense. But in Morris, but case, not only
4: according to the weather reports was it dry, but according to Cecil Smith's description of the accident in the report, the road conditions were dry and not slippery. And Tim Westman.
1: I don't three remember three. it being particularly slippery that night, but I also know that the night that I had my accident and totaled my car, it was like in the fifties that day. And it was mm. it was perfectly dry, <laughs> and most of it was not slippery. It was just a, a certain section where the ice was. Well, especially that so. road
0: down there by the mm-hmm. river, it freezes mm-hmm. up, glazes over a little quicker than.
1: But the yeah, impre- road, like road I said, the impression I had was road condition
4: normal, surface condition yeah. dry, according to his. The um, the, the impression uh, I had was that she report. was
1: going this way and just went on the wrong side of the road. That's what it looked like, but.
4: I don't really know what questions we can ask to uh, confirm anything else for anybody. Well I, I
0: think that what I would like to my part that I'd like to just point out because we have Karen here with us is, is just to give people a little bit better idea again of how she could have seen the cruiser twice and if yeah. you're on Swiftwater Road in Goose Lane off of Swiftwater Road there's a road called Cemetery Road mm-hmm. and Cemetery Road cuts off to the left and comes out on Route 112 further west pa- uh, west of the uh, stage stop store. where Looks like a Y if yeah, you're looking it at it like on the map. Y. And so once he passed her there, he actually went down Cemetery Road. Which is Karen paved. keeps going, and then she got to Route 112, so that when she pulled on to 112, he had come out further west and had to pass her again.
2: How fast would he have had to have been going to pass you twice?
1: Faster than me, but I don't know. No, I didn't. Faster than me, that's all I could say. And I was not in a hurry to be behind a police car with his lights on. Right. And
0: you were already on 112 when he passed you the second time? Had just, you turned on to just, just barely? Just
1: pulling out onto it. And okay. it was like, stop. So, so that will be
0: just about and right.
1: that's another thing that made me think, like, oh, whoever it is doesn't know where they're going. You know, it can't be a police officer. He would know where he was going.
0: And I, I think... That's
1: what my thought was. Sorry.
0: Uh, a perfect time to add this in is... Uh, Cecil Smith's exact words on Wednesday morning to the family was, um, "I got lost on the way because I'm not familiar with the area." Now Cecil Smith's father lives on Bunga Road, which is on Swiftwater or on Route 112, right across, yeah, right around the corner from the stage stop store. So I find it pretty hard that a police officer in his own town, with his father who lives only two and a half miles from the accident scene doesn't know where he is and, and got lost.
1: So you're thinking that he was saying that in response to the fact that a police car passed me twice?
0: I think he was saying that in response to the fact that you were passed by an SUV and he, they're trying to cover their tracks. Because then that makes sense. Why it took him 17 minutes to get to the scene from wherever he was it took him oh, 17 oh. minutes to respond so if it took, this is, this is, uh, the, uh, this is the sedan Right. So, if it took the, the sedan 17 minutes to respond, uh-huh. I mean, you're seeing the SUV okay. before that. Yeah. So, what is this SUV yeah. looking for? I mean, we know what you saw. You know, I, know I mean, I it's obvious what you saw. And, and that's it right there. And, and, and for him to get lost and go down Cemetery Road, I don't think he was lost. I think he was looking for, I think he was on a mission. He was looking for somebody.
1: That's so strange. No, have they ever had a sedan that said 001 on it?
0: No, not back then. It's like no, Dad, not at the time. How? I think they had three cruisers at that point in time. There's three cruisers. Number 001 was the SUV. 002 was one sedan, and then there was 003.
4: And yeah, when they sell them, they remove the lights and all the decals, designations, and Yeah, just and all that. well,
0: what you see right there is the way it was sold yeah, to. Uh, but
4: they even got, you, you see the line. decals were taken right off. There's nothing on the sides.
1: I remember seeing that one day on the way to work, it was so creepy.